Hi, my name is Ryan. And I'm Kate. And I am the missions coordinator here at Solace Church, which uh, means I get to oversee the global and local initiatives that we have. So specifically working on getting the orphanage in the Ivory Coast and uh, then we're working towards starting the refuge. We grew up in small towns in central Illinois. So we're from, from different towns that are pretty close to each other. So we both grew up in kind of farming communities and uh, just we both lived out in the country and came from great families, super involved in, in churches our entire lives. And uh, both of us, we ended up together at Lincoln Christian. At the time, it was Lincoln Christian College. So our college had brother-sister floors, and we happened to be on the brother and sister floor. So we did a lot of events together, hung out together. Um, so eventually, we became friends. Um, Ryan went off to Vegas, did an internship. He came back, and we decided mm, maybe we're more than friends. Uh, so we started dating, and got married and the rest is history. So when we were engaged and, and whenever we got married we were living in another small town in Illinois. I was doing student ministries for a church there with great people. We had a, a great ministry but really just felt like that wasn't where uh, God had us at the time and, and so a, a friend of mine called me and he was living in, in the South Tulsa Bixby area, had started a church, was about a year and a half into that process, and asked me if I'd be willing uh, to come and, and join him on staff with the church. It was kind of a crazy move. There wasn't a lot of certainty with it, uh, but really felt like that's something that God was leading us uh, to be able to do. So we moved about eight hours away from home and uh, joined, uh, joined the church down there and spent the last four years serving at that church. So when we first got married, um, our hearts were kind of looking towards adoption. At some point in time, we wanted to get to know each other, you know, spend some time having fun, um, not as much responsibilities, uh, really grow our relationship. We put a time frame on it, but that was flexible. Adoption was like a, a far off Way dream. Far off. Yeah. yeah, like at least five years into the future, but that's kind of where our hearts were landing. Um, so then we moved out here. Ryan got involved with um, the crossing. Um, we got involved uh, with the 111 project. And Ryan started kind of uh, spending more time with that and thinking about that. And um, so it kind of brought up to me instead of adopting, would we maybe want to consider fostering at least first? And so I said, sure, why not? Um, and so we went through the process, got a couple of short term. Uh, placements and then got one that ended up being a little bit more long-term and our family has grown and changed over the years and we now have three beautiful children. We we used to have a little bit more free time now that our family has grown that's a little more difficult but when I do get a few moments I, I love to read I'm a, I'm a big reader uh, we love to have friends over to play board games and uh, I'm a pretty big sports fan and so I'm, I'm a huge fan of the world champion Chicago Cubs, uh, the Chicago Bears, Bulls and uh, we both grew up rooting for Illini and so I, I love to watch, uh, watch sports and trying to introduce those to our kids a little bit. Definitely through our marriage um, I have become a bigger sports fan um, so I also enjoy watching sports and I have the teams that I root for. I'm very passionate about that. I like to play Sudoku. Um, I like to be outside with our kids, um, and I love to color. Obviously for me, I, I'm just incredibly excited about my job. I, I love what I get to do here, 
and and I feel that you know God has wired me to be able to do some of the things that that we're taking on right now. And uh, I love I love missions. We've had opportunities in the past to go to Mexico, to go to Ecuador, different places, and serve. And so to know I'm actively going to be involved with with Africa and, and other parts of the world is just really energizing for me. And that's something that I look forward to. Something that I love. Um, I'm really excited because I actually work at Berry Hill Middle School. Um, so it's fun to kind of feel like I already have a connection to the community and to some of the people. I've met a handful um, of the parents of students that I teach that I wouldn't have met if I didn't come to church here um, and just kind of get to know those people on a, a more um, relational basis. I'm super excited for our kids uh, to be in the the kids area growing there um, they all seem to really really love it um, and of course I am excited to see passion in my husband and um, to have him be excited to to come to work and to be excited about what's happening here and I love just just being a part of that Good morning. And good morning, Solace Church. As, as you just saw, my name is Ryan, and I am the missions uh, coordinator here. And uh, if we haven't met, it's because I've only been around for a few months, and so I've met some of you, but, but still learning a lot of names and a lot of faces. Uh, but thank you to those uh, of you that have welped into my family, and you've already made, it, made us feel like a part of the church here. And uh, we're just incredibly excited about, about that. And about a month ago, our, our, our pastor, Matt, he stopped by my office and he said, hey, and you're going to teach in November. And then he just kind of walked away because that's kind of how, how Matt works. And, and so I was like, okay, cool. You know, like, what a great opportunity uh, to get a stand up here and, and to get a share with you on a Sunday morning. What Matt didn't tell me was that we would be at the, uh, I would be the first week after our Life After Life series, right? And if you've been around for the past few weeks, that was like an incredible series, right? I, I'm new here, so. So I assume they're all that good, right? But if they are, I'll keep coming around. But, but I mean, it was just an amazing series. We're talking about the throne room of God. We're talking about the majesty of God and spending eternity with him. And then Matt's like, just talk about whatever you want. You know, just, that's that's uh, where we're at this morning, and so we're in this together, but uh, you know, on a, uh, another note, Matt is taking a few weeks off and, and some much-needed time, some much-needed rest with his family, and so glad that he gets the opportunity to do that while I get to share with you this morning. And so what I want to do with our time together is I want to look at John chapter 10. So if you're following along, go ahead and turn there this morning. We're going to spend a lot of time in John chapter 10 this morning reading through a lot of it, and, and uh, what we're going to see is that Jesus, uh, he, he seems to be saying the, the same things over and over and over again in this passage, and one thing I've learned from studying the Bible is that if it's repeated a lot, uh, then maybe it's something that we need to hear, and maybe it's something that we need to pay attention to. And so let's go ahead and start, we're going to start in verse 1, John chapter 10, this is Jesus speaking. He says, very truly I tell you Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When, the, when he has brought all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and, the, and his sheep follow him because they know 
his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. If you spent much time reading the words of Jesus, and then you may know that Jesus doesn't always say things directly. Right? He often teaches in, in parables and in allegory and figures of speech. And, and to an American, this can be a little confusing, maybe even at times irritating. Right? We want things just given to us directly. We don't want to work for it. Right? We just want the answers laid out for us. But, but Jesus doesn't do this to be difficult. In fact, what we see is that when he teaches this way, we end up with a fuller, deeper, and more beautiful idea of the truth. He's not hiding anything from us. And he taught this way because it was a popular way to teach in their culture. And even though it was the popular, the common way to teach, we, we see the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they often don't understand what Jesus is saying. And this isn't because of how he communicates. I believe it's because of what he communicates. That he was often saying the very opposite of what they thought that he should say. Let's look at verse 7. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And Jesus says, okay, so you didn't get my imagery. Let me just tell it to you clearly. I am the gate. Right? But what, is he, what does he mean by this? Well, first and foremost, Jesus is saying, I am salvation. Verse 9, whoever enters through me will be saved. This is not the only place that, that scripture says this. This is a reoccurring theme throughout the Gospels, right? When Jesus says things like, I am the way to the Father. No one is saved except through me. He has this language of come to me. Because I am salvation. And, and there's nothing more important than this, right? We can't talk about anything bigger than this idea. This is incredibly important to our lives. But this isn't all that Jesus is saying with this gate language. He's also saying that I am protection. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never met a shepherd in my life. I, I grew up in small town, like Midwest America, so I've met farmers. A lot of my friends are farmers. A lot of them had sheep, uh, you know, that they took care of, but they weren't really shepherds, right? And even if they, even if we met a shepherd, I'm going to assume that one today in America would be a little bit different than it was 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. And so it's helpful for us to understand kind of how shepherds operated. And so what they would do is they would take their sheep and they would put them into this enclosure. And this enclosure would usually back up against the back of a cliff or, or maybe the end of a canyon. And in fact, they still use these in modern-day Palestine today. And, and so this, this enclosure has a, a, a waist-high wall made out of stones. And on top of it, they put like thorny brush all around the top. And then there's just one small opening. And this opening, they would fill it up with dry brush. And there would be a shepherd there. To garden, And so this is what Jesus is speaking about, the small opening when he talks about the gate. And when we understand this picture, we begin to realize that the gate was a source of safety. That the sheep could gather into the pen and know that they were protected. That nobody was going to get in, that those evil outside forces could not 
get to them. And Jesus is the gate. He's our protector. He's our source of safety. And when things are difficult, he is our shield. And he is our comfort. And why do we need a shield and a comfort? Because there's an enemy, right? A thief. And the difference couldn't be any more clear that Jesus offers salvation while the thief threatens death. Verse 11 He says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus here, he changes gears a little bit, right? He was saying that I am the gate, and now he's saying, not only am I the gate, but I'm also the shepherd. In those days, it was common for a shepherd to carry a rod and a staff. The staff was a, a lighter piece of wood. It was probably four to five foot long. And this was like a walking stick. It would help them on uneven terrain. It would help them navigate. But it also had a, a crook on the end. Maybe you've, you know, you've seen this image before. And so he could reach out and he could actually grab a sheep and pull it back when it was in danger. But he also had this rod. And the rod was a heavier piece of wood. It often had a knob on the end of it. And so this was literally to like club something, right, if it came after the sheep, to beat them and to keep his sheep safe. And so again, we see this image that the, the shepherd is a source of protection and safety. One commentator said that if a sheep was prone to wander, the shepherd sometimes would take his staff or his rod and he would actually break the leg of the sheep. And then they would splint it and he would carry the sheep until the, the leg was healed. And then the sheep wouldn't want to wander off anymore, right? It learned its lesson. And, and so next time you see this image, just saying Jesus may have broken that little sheep's leg, right? That little lamb. It's probably not. That's probably not why we have that painting. I don't think Jesus actually did that. But I do think it gives us, gives us a powerful imagery. You think, about, you think about those times that you've endured pain and suffering. And that maybe that you were allowed to do that so you would stay close to him. And that when you get through that, you have the desire to never leave his side. Verse 12, I told you I knew a lot of readings. So let's keep going. He says, The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. And then the wolf attacks, and the, flo- attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Earlier, Jesus contrasted the gate with the thief, and now he's contrasting the shepherd with the hired hand. And, and we know from the context and we know from other places in Scripture that Jesus, when he's talking about the thief, is talking about Satan, right? He has the, the desire to kill and to destroy. He, he creates chaos and fear. But who's the hired hand that Jesus is talking about? It, it's most likely that he's actually speaking to this crowd. This is a little more direct attack. That when he's talking about the hired hand, he's probably talking about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He's, he's talking to those people that would go out on the corners and they would pray their fancy prayers so that everybody would hear them, right? And then they would go and they would wear their beautiful robes and all that stuff so that people would, would notice them and, and see them. And he's saying, hey, you're, you're selfish and you're self-centered and you're supposed to be leading these people, but you only care about what's best 
for you. And Jesus says the hired hand, he wasn't out there because he cared about the sheep, right? He was out there because he was getting a paycheck. And so as soon as there's a problem, he's running away. Like he's like, I did not sign up for this. I'm not getting paid enough for this. He's not going to risk his life for the sheep. But Jesus is the opposite. He says, I am the good shepherd, and I, I willingly lay down my life for the flock. Let's keep reading. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And let's stop here just for a moment, because if you have been here for the Life After Life series, you know, we talked about the end times. We talked about different views of, of how the world is going to end. And, and we talked about how there's you know, different views. And some people say, well, is there, is there one way for the Jews to get to heaven and one way for, the, for everybody else to get to heaven? And, and we see Jesus speaking to a Jewish crowd and saying, hey, there's this other group. There's these Gentile people, and they're going to come along with me. And there's one shepherd, right? And Jesus is, again, doing the salvation language that there's only one way to be saved, and that is through Jesus. Verse 17, it says, The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. I find it interesting that three times in eight verses, Jesus says he lays down his life. He wants it to be very clear. He wants there to be no doubt that he is good because he sacrifices his life. It is not taken from him, but it is given. And the crowd here, they didn't know what Jesus was talking about, right? And, and you and I, we have hindsight. And we know that Jesus was foreshadowing the cross. We know what is to come for him. That we have a shepherd that is willing to die a criminal's death to save us and to protect us from the consequences of sin. And for some of you, that idea of Jesus as shepherd is, is a thing of comfort for you, right? When, when times of, in life get hard, you cling to that. You're reminded that he is good and that he loves you and that he cares for you. But I know that, that some of you in this room, when you hear that word good, you think, how can Jesus be good? And I say that because this past year, we've, it's been an election year for us, right? Which that means for an entire year, we've just heard about how bad our country is, right? And all the things that are broken and all the things that we need to fix. And then we can turn on the news and we see mass shootings or we see problems like the, what's going on in the Middle East every single day. And then we see, you know, in our own country, we see corruption and leaders and companies and all these things. And sometimes it becomes overwhelming. A couple of years ago, my, my wife and I, we decided to become foster parents like you saw in that video, and, and so we went through the long application process, and in May of 2014, we became approved to be foster parents. I remember I got the phone call like that morning, and, and then within eight hours, we had our first phone call and our first placement of, of two beautiful little girls. So they, were, they were one year and one day apart in age, and uh, they stayed in our home for a few weeks, and uh, then they were, they were taken out of our home, something that still is, is painful to think about, and and talk about, but, but a few days later, 
We had a little boy, and he got to stay with us for a weekend before he, he could go to some other, other family members. And then, then we welcomed our daughter into our home. And then about uh, six months later, in January, we said, okay, now we're, we think we need to, to have another one. And so we, we brought our, our son uh, into our home. And, and then God decided to, to add a, another one and brought us another daughter into our home. That one wasn't quite in our plans, uh, but it's what God wanted to do. And, and it's hard to describe how much our lives have changed, going from a family of two to three to, to five in a pretty short amount of time. And to, to say it was a learning experience is an understatement. We had no idea what we were doing, right? It was almost comical. I remember literally like getting on Google and, and being like, what do 18-month-olds eat? Because I had no idea. And I remember searching, how do you wash cornrows? Something I've never done before. And, and how long do lice live? And there were some things that we weren't prepared for. And there were some things that we could never be prepared for. And one thing I learned very quickly is to appreciate the life that I've had. That I've had parents that loved me and provided for me. And my wife, that she had parents that loved her and provided for her. And our parents, they did everything they could to, to care for us and to make us a priority. And I've learned that not everybody gets that opportunity. Over the past year, I've witnessed things and learned things that make me angry, things that break my heart. Uh, I've seen and met kids that have endured more than anyone should ever have to face. And I've learned about the brokenness of our world in a new, in a deeper, in a more personal way than ever before. And when I think about my kids, I can understand how somebody could grow up and say, how is Jesus good? And I'm, I'm not ever going to stand up here and act like I have all the answers I'm not ever going to try to explain everything to you and say why you've been through certain things in your life, why you've experienced the things that you've had to go through. There are some things I don't think we will ever understand. But I will stand up here, and I will say that Jesus is good. And that he is with you. And that may not always look the way we want it to. That may not always go the way we want it to but he is good. Good does not mean that our loved ones will never get sick. Good does not mean that we won't face financial stress. Good does not mean that our kids will never misbehave or do anything wrong. Good does not mean that we won't have to endure moments of pain and hurt and sadness. And I think what happens is, is we tend to equate being good with being happy, right? If Jesus is really the good shepherd, then he'll give me everything that I want, He'll make me happy. And as soon as we're not, we begin to question the goodness of God. And of course, the problem with this is that Jesus never promises happiness. In fact, Jesus promised something very different. He promised that the world would hate us. He promised that we would face hard times. He promised that, that life is a race that we have to endure to finish. 
But he also promised something else as well. We've been promised that Jesus will always be with us. We're promised that we can know him in a personal way. We are promised that he is near. Four times in this passage, and then one more time immediately after that, we're not going to read this morning. Jesus speaks of the sheep knowing his voice. It's a simple statement with a profound implication. There is a closeness and an intimacy in a relationship with Jesus. He's not a stranger. He's not an idol that we worship. He is someone that we know and we trust and we follow. And then in the 1980s, there was a Palestinian uprising. And there was, in, in Israel, there was this, this little village near Bethlehem. And they weren't paying their taxes because they didn't agree with all these things that were going on. And so this Israeli officer went into this little village and he rounded up all of the livestock to punish them. And so he put them into this, this enclosure, like hundreds of animals. And so one day, about a week later, this, this little old lady, she comes walking up. And she said, I, I need my sheep. I, I am a widow. This is the only thing I have to provide for me. Can I have them? And, and the officer is kind of like, there's, there's hundreds of animals here. There's no way we're going to find your animals. And she said, well, well, if I can sort them out myself, can I take them home? And he's like, sure, right? If you can sort them out yourself, you can take them home. And, and this little old lady had her son with her. And he pulled out a, a small wooden flute and began to play a song. And sheep's sheep head began to move and they began to come to the front of the pen. And the story goes that they walked home playing the song with 25 sheep following after them. You see, Jesus came to save everyone. But he also came to save you. Because he knows you and he loves you. And this isn't meant to be a one-sided relationship. In fact... If we paid attention to what we read, Jesus sets the bar pretty high. He says, my sheep know me just as my father knows me and as I know the father. And think about that for a moment. This is a a fascinating, overwhelming statement. Because if you know anything about Christianity, you know one of the cores of Christianity is the idea of the Trinity, right? That God the Father and, and Jesus and the Spirit, that they're all one, but they're all together. That they've always been together. They will always be together, in fact, the reason you and I, the reason we, we crave friendships and, and family and community is because we were created by a God who in himself is community. And Jesus says, how close I am to him is how close I want to be to you. The way that I know him is the way that I want to know you. Jesus doesn't live far off in the clouds somewhere. He's He's not distant and absent from your life. He is available, and he desires to know you. And sometimes as Christians, we fall into that trap of thinking that that we get saved, and then we die, and then we spend eternity with Jesus, right? We kind of talked about this during the Life After Life series. And eternal life is not something that happens just when you die. Eternal life is something that begins the moment you come into a relationship with Jesus, and, and he wants to be a part of your life, and not just the big things. He wants to be a part of the mundane and the boring and the routine parts as well. Jesus says his sheep know his voice. And I feel like over the past few years, 
This has been this reoccurring theme, this reoccurring thing that God has been trying to teach me in my life. You heard a little bit of this in the, in the video this morning, but I, I'm gonna kind of go into some of the other details, just what's gone on in our family and in my life over the past few years. See, if we were to go back five years ago, I was living in a little town in Illinois called Mawikwa, and I was doing student ministries there. Things were going really well. Like we, uh, we had awesome students. The, the size of our ministry actually, it doubled in our time that was there. And there were some really cool answered prayers, some really cool things had happened. And a lot of people were kind of patting me on the back, like, hey, you're doing a great job, you know, keep it up. But on the inside, like, something wasn't right. And maybe, maybe you've had that before. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. And so I went to my wife and I said, hey, we need to pray. And I don't, I don't really know what we're praying for. I just know that we need, we need to pray. And so we began doing that. I remember every single morning I was literally getting on my knees and just saying, God, I don't know what it is that you want to do, but, but do that. You know, do that in me. Whatever it is, God, we're here and we're available. And, and I told my wife, I said, you know, this may take months, right? This may take years that we're going to have to pray, just wait and listen to God. And instead it took about a month. <laughs> it was one of those where God wasn't waiting around. And, and so about a month later, I got a phone call. From a friend of mine, and, and, and as we said, he had planted a church in the South Tulsa Bixby area. And he didn't really come out and directly say it. Uh, but basically, he was tired. Uh, he was a little overburdened. And he was lonely. And he needed someone to come alongside him and serve with him. And, and there's only one, one minor problem. is The church was really small, and, and so they couldn't pay me. And... Uh, <laughs> I told my wife that, and I said, hey, what do you think about this? And my wife just said, well, well, what do you think? And I said, I think we're supposed to go do this. And she said, okay, let's go. And if you know my wife, that pretty much sums her up. Uh, She's incredibly faithful, incredibly willing to dive into whatever God has in store for us. And so we spent the next three months talking to anybody that would listen to us about what God was doing, about what we were feeling called to do. And so God allowed us in three months to raise three years of salary to move uh, to Tulsa and to be a part of this church. And, and so in August of, of 2012, we, we loaded up a U-Haul with everything that we owned and we left our home, we moved and we became a part of this church. And we were, we were so excited. I mean, we just could not wait. It was gonna be great, right? Because we knew that God was in this. We knew that God ha- had helped us raise our support and we, and we knew that God was calling us to do this. And so we were like, man, we're gonna show up and there's gonna be like incredible growth Right? There's going to be like spontaneous baptisms, and we're going to do like amazing things in the community. And, and what we found is that church planning is really hard. Right? And some of you, maybe you were here in the beginning. It's, sometimes it just feels like you're, you're pushing and you're grinding, and you're not seeing the results that you want to see. The things aren't going the way that you think they should. And there was times that I would step back, and I would just be like, why are we here? Right? I mean, what? Are we making any difference at all? And maybe you've been in that place before where you feel like you completely followed the will of God but things weren't working out the way that you thought they would. It became even, even more apparent about a year ago. I was still on staff at the church and we decided that each staff member was gonna become bivocational so we were gonna have a full-time job outside of the ministry that we were doing at the church. And so we all, uh, a few of them already had jobs. Uh, the other pastor and myself, we, we got jobs. And, and not to mention during this time, I was, also, I was finishing my master's online. Our family grew to, you know, from three to five. It was, 
the hardest year of my life. It was the hardest year of my marriage. And through that all, we just kept seeking God and saying, God, is this where you want us? Like, is this, is this what we're supposed to be doing? And we just kept feeling like God was saying, hey, just stay, just stay where you are. And I felt like through that time that God was teaching me that what matters to me doesn't always matter to him, right? Sometimes the stats and the numbers and the things that, that I care about, he doesn't care about. And that was hard for me because I'm like a, I'm a results-driven person, right? I want to see things get done. I need to know that I'm like checking things off a, a list. And, and God was just saying, hey, just, just be there. And, it, and through this time, over and over, the, what I felt like he was saying is, hey, do you trust me? Do you trust me? This past July, we, we loaded up our minivan. And when you go from a family of three to a family of five in a very short amount of time, you become a minivan family. And so we, we loaded up our minivan and we, we went, to, went to Illinois to visit family. And so we went up there and it was the first time in a year that I had just stopped, that I wasn't working, I wasn't doing anything, that I was just able to be still and be quiet and rest and listen. And I came home from that knowing one thing very clearly. I knew that for whatever reason, I was done at that church that I was serving at. And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't, I didn't know what was next. Honestly, I had, you know, I had this other job. I, I didn't even know if I would do ministry again. And that was really hard for me. And that was kind of a, a gut check moment of, do you trust me? And I just felt like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. And so about a week later, I had the opportunity to, to meet with our lead pastor. And I just said, hey, this is, this is what's going on. And and we need to, to begin you know, planning for me to transition off of the staff. And, and, and we talked through that. And that was on a Friday afternoon. And on Monday, I got a message from Solace Church saying, hey, would you come interview for the position of missions coordinator? And I remember reading the job description. And, and this was like a dream job. I remember reading it to my wife. and be like, this is incredible. Like, this is everything that I would want to do. And I tell you our story for for a few reasons, is first, you never know where listening to God is going to get you. And if I'm being honest, things didn't always go the way that I thought they should, and things didn't always go the way I, I thought they would in our story. And in fact, you know, for when I was at that church for two years, we prayed about having a new facility. We really felt like this isn't where we're supposed to be. God wants us somewhere else. And so we were praying and praying and, and there'd be like an open door and we would we'd kind of pursue it and then God would close that door. And over and over we thought, God, where do you want us? Where are you going to move us? What are you going to do? And that was our prayer for two years. And this morning, they're having the very last service at that church because we are merging with another church they're going to have a new facility, a new beginning, a new financial freedom that they never had before. And it's awesome. And I'm so happy for them. And I can't wait to see what God is going to do through them. But part of me is like, wait a minute. Like, I was supposed to be a part of that, right? Like, I've been praying for that. And sometimes we have to trust that God has us right where he wants us, right when he needs us there. And I think you and I, we become so fixed on what we think is best that we forget that God knows what is best. I'll also tell you this story because I, when I see it, I can just see how God was working and planning before I ever knew it. 
You know, we moved out here. We knew pretty much nobody. We knew a handful of people. And so my wife, she's a school teacher. She applied everywhere that she could. And in fact, uh, she, she ended up with two interviews and she ended up with two job offers. And when we flipped the coin, we ended up saying, okay, let's take this job at Berry Hill. And she actually applied to the Berry Hill High School. She didn't even have her Oklahoma teaching certificate at the time. It was just incredible that she ended up at Berry Hill Middle School. And I looked at that and I see God knew exactly where he wanted us. He knew exactly where he was going to put us. And then I think about my kids. And I fully believe that part of the reason we moved to Tulsa was so that we would be exposed to the needs of foster care. Because I don't think that would have ever happened where we were. And I believe that, that God knew there were three children with different skin colors and different last names that needed us to be their mom and their dad. And I've been learning a lot over the past few years. I've still got, still got a lot to learn, a lot to go, but, but this is what I've picked up on, is that we have to make room to listen. A few weeks ago, one of our staff meetings, uh, one of the staff members, they are talking about how they did some time of prayer and fasting. And they said, it's the craziest thing. When you make room for God to speak, he actually does, right? And you and I as Americans, we are awful at listening. We are always busy, we're always doing something. We're constantly consumed, constantly distracted, and we are never quiet, and we are never still. And then we say, why isn't God speaking to me? It's because we've stopped listening to the good shepherd. A few years ago, I was in the spiritual rut, and I, just, I knew something needed to change. And so I decided, I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. every morning, and I'm going to read, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to run and exercise. And, and so I started doing that, and it was really hard. And it was, it was tough, but it was, but it was a really valuable time for me. And, and so a lot of great things happened through that, and I was really enjoying it. And then we started to get kids. And once we got our, our one-year-old, he's almost two, uh, he thinks that 5 a.m. is when you get up and play. And so it's a little bit harder to, to spend that time uh, with Jesus whenever you're, you know, your two-year-old's like crawling on you, wanting milk, those, those types of things. And, and so I knew, that, I knew that our family growing was going to add chaos. I, di- I didn't think about those moments, you know, even 5 a.m., that that's a, a space that I wouldn't have available to spend with God. And so I've had to rearrange my schedule, make sure that I have those times available to me. And maybe you need to do the same. Uh, maybe you need to take something off of the calendar and not put anything else back on there. Maybe you need to spend some time away from Facebook. Maybe you need to, to go out into nature, out, go out into the woods, spend time with God. I don't, know, I don't know how you connect with him. I don't know what you do. But I'd be willing to bet that all of us could spend a little bit more time with him. The good shepherd is calling, and he is guiding us, and he is near. The question is, are we listening and here's the other thing I learned is, is I've learned that listening leads to obedience. Because when I tell my kids to do something, I don't want them just to hear me. Right? I want them to actually do it. And I say that because the end goal is not for us to have a nice quiet time with Jesus. All right? the, the end goal is for us to, to know more about him and to apply that to our lives. To take action on the things that we learn and, and the areas in which we're growing. And in verses 17 through 19, Jesus said that the Father loves him because he obeys, and Jesus obeys because he loves the Father. 
And being obedient is not something we do so that we can have a relationship with God. We obey because we have a relationship with God. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I love the simplicity of James. Do what it says. And I think about that verse and I think whether it's parenting or my career or my finances or my time or my influence or my marriage, I want to live in complete and utter reliance on Jesus. I want to look back at my life and my ministry and know that I trusted him in every single moment. Even when it was hard. Even when it didn't make sense. And I don't know what's going on in your life, but I'd be willing to bet there are some areas of uncertainty. I'd be willing to bet that there are some, some battles you are fighting right now and you don't know how they're going to end. And I can't promise that things will turn out the way you want them to. I can't promise that you're going to get the answers you're looking for. I, I can't even promise that things will be safe or easy. But I can promise that Jesus is with you and that he's not going anywhere. And it doesn't matter who you are and it doesn't matter what you're up against. Listen to the words of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your what? Your, your rod and your staff. And they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. This just means there are more blessings than he can handle. He has everything that he needs. And he says, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I love this passage because it's a a picture of both listening and and obedience, right? It begins with David, and, and where is he at? He's in the green pastures, and he's beside the quiet waters. But that's not where he stays. It says he follows through the darkest valley. And then at the end, he arrives, right? He, he gets the goal. He, he's at eternity forever with God, and we know that through that, the good shepherd never left his side. Pray with me. Hey, this is Pastor Matt Blair. Thank you so much for taking time to check out our podcast today at solacechurch.com. You know, we realize that it's possible as you listen to this message today that God may have spoken to your heart about something. So if you made any kind of spiritual decision, we would love to know about that. You can email us at info at solacechurch.com and let us know what happened in your life today. Once again, thank you so much for taking time to check out this podcast.